0: Welcome to our afternoon lecture. My name is Brian Kurth from the Math Department, and I'm pleased to welcome you to our second STEM talk for the semester. Uh, STEM, as you may know, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Our lecture today will be given by Professor Chuck Bales and Jordan Murray. They will be discussing industrial applications of 3D printing. Uh, Chuck is uh, Associate Professor uh, and Coordinator of Mechanical Design and Drafting and Computer-Aided Design over in T-Building and Jordan Murray is a student here at Maureen Valley. They will talk for about 45 minutes or so, and then we should have some time for Q&A afterwards. So without further ado, I give you uh, Chuck and Jordan.
1: All right, good afternoon, everybody. How are we doing? All right, good. Well, my name is Chuck Bales, as as Brian uh, introduced me. Uh, Jordan Murray is a lab aide of mine that's been working uh, with me for, what, two, three years now? Something uh, like that. uh, and uh, he is, he, he is uh, working intently with our additive manufacturing uh, in our department. We have a number of uh, 3D printers, additive manufacturing machines, and Jordan has been working those. So, uh, I wanted him to help me with the presentation here because he has uh, maybe even a better feel for it than I do. So, uh, I'm going to get you started off with a little bit of background talk. So first, I want to kind of paint a bigger picture to let you uh, understand where 3D printing and additive manufacturing comes, for, uh, comes from. So really, the, the term right now is additive manufacturing. 3D printing is only one aspect of additive manufacturing, the actual printing part of it. This is a full-fledged uh, manufacturing process. Uh, before additive manufacturing was around, we really had three processes that we use for manufacturing parts. We had joining. Uh, which involves uh, welding or screwing parts together. We also had subtractive manufacturing, which includes cutting, machine tool cutting, Uh, and we had forming, which would be casting and forging uh, and operations like that, injection molding. Um, Additive manufacturing is a full fourth member of the manufacturing processes here because it manufactures in a way that is different than all the other methods. And so it creates Uh, some added benefits, some ways that manufacturing and designers and engineers can leverage to go in completely different directions, as I'm sure you're going to find when we go through the industrial applications. This is really an exciting time um, because this is part of the fourth industrial revolution. We are actually involved right now in the process of going through the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, The fourth industrial revolution includes uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, nanotechnology, uh, cybersecurity, and additive manufacturing. And so all of this is kind of coming together, converging to, to really give engineers tools that uh, 10, 15 years ago were not available at all. Um, 3D printing kind of fits in with this industry 4.0 scheme with robotics and the Internet of Things because 3D printing allows us to have distributed manufacturing. So if I want to print something and I'm on a ship uh, and I need to print uh, a, a new rudder or a new propeller, uh, I can have the files emailed to me and I can print those files uh, on the ship. Um, this, is, this is also being done in, uh, in space. We have some examples here of parts. This is a sample part that was actually sent up to the International Space Station and printed. The astronaut up there needed a ratchet, a special type of ratchet. It was designed on Earth, emailed up as an STL file, and then they printed it. And they had a 3D printer on the space station. It's a working ratchet. So um, this is, as I said, part of the fourth industrial revolution, what's known as Industry 4.0. Okay. Um, just to give you a sense of the additive manufacturing market, these, these graphs are just a couple years old. Uh, and I assure you that the, the the trend is still upward, but in 2013, over a third of the additive manufacturing market was using uh, 3D printing for final production parts, um, and that so 34.7 percent. And if we look at sales estimates of industrial machines for additive manufacturing, again in the 2013 report, we're up to nearly 8,000 machines. And again, I I assure you that that trend has continued up. You might see a little blip right here, of course, around the 2008 time period. And I'm sure you know what that is. That was the market correction. So that's why we have a little downward trend. But it continued back up again. Now, of course, when we talk about a fourth industrial revolution and we talk about where 3D printing fits into the manufacturing, engineering, and design landscape, I'm sure you've heard and you are aware of the disruption that this causes. So 3D printing is not without causing problems. Um, The problems that 3D printing causes are uh, disruption to our normal supply chain and logistics, how we get raw materials, and how we distribute manufactured materials. There is huge intellectual concerns because now I can scan a part. I can do a a scan of a part, make an image of that in my computer uh, model, and then I can print the part as if it's mine. So I don't need to buy a part or a machine. As long as I can just get it and scan it, I can print it. So, there's intellectual properties concerns. There's also issues with design cycles, um, where now the design cycle has been greatly reduced. What we call the design cycle now, it's undergoing time compression. So, whereas it would take literally years to design certain things, now that time is being compressed. And engineers are having to, or are able to, design in a much shorter time frame. That has both positive and negative effects, but it's definitely a disruption to our normal state of affairs. And finally, entry barriers. This is a disruption, but it's a good entry, uh, good disruption. Uh, now we can we can enter the manufacturing market, and we don't have to worry about buying expensive machine tools or finding the the area uh, and the expertise for a foundry. All we need to do is buy a 3D printing machine, an additive manufacturing machine, and we can go ahead and get into the market for manufacturing with our designs. Some of the designs and some of the applications that Jordan's going to go through, you'll see these are small shops that, boom, they just appeared. They're printing things, they're selling things, and um, you know, it's, it's a great way to get those small areas out there to start uh, producing items. So I do want to talk a little bit about, because we are going to talk about the individual processes for for additive manufacturing. I do want to take a little bit of time just to go through these. I'm not going to go into each one in detail, because that would be two or three more lectures. Um, But there are seven classifications standardized for additive manufacturing processes. Okay, And they fall under the category of liquid-based, solid-based, or powder-based processes. In the liquid-based process, We're starting with a liquid. The material that we're forming into a solid is starting as a liquid. So these include vat photopolymerization, material jetting, and material extrusion. Currently, in our labs over in the CAD department in the T building, we have a vat photopolymerization machine and we have two material extrusion uh, 3D printers. Under the solid based, we're starting the material that we're starting our additive with is a solid. So it could be, typically it's sheets, could be sheets of paper, could be sheets of aluminum, or sheets of any other type of metal. But here we have a sheet lamination process and directed energy deposition with the wires. And finally, and this is the powder-based area, is really where metals, uh, metal 3D printing is, is excelling. In the powder-based area, we have uh, materials, that we're starting with powders. To get our finished solid object, uh, 3D printed object. So this includes binder jetting, powder bed fusion, and directed energy deposition, but using the powder to start with. So that's our seven standard classifications. Any process uh, that that is out there in the market is going to be based on one of these seven. They might not use the same name. So like you'll hear uh, the terminology selective laser sintering. Selective laser sintering is the trademark term for a powder bed fusion process. We have a fused deposition modeler in our labs over there. Fused deposition modelers, or FDMs, are material extrusion machines. So each company has their own trademarked and copyrighted name for their their machine, but they're going to fall under one of these seven categories. When we talk about materials, this is really one of the uh, one of the linchpins that set off the market in terms of the industrial applications. Um, in the old days, back when back when 3D printing starting started around 1986, when it was first developed by Charles Hull, uh, plastics were the only way to go. Okay, so we had plastic. Uh, the the processes that could develop flat plastic include vat photopolymer, material extrusion, material jetting and sheet lamination. okay. That kind of transitioned to more of a ceramic and composite. But once the development was achieved for the powder processes, powder metallurgy is actually a defined science, a manufacturing process that's well resolved. So it's been out there in the, in the world for a long time. Um, when it was, it was understood how to develop, how to create parts with 3D printing powder, that took on a whole new avenue. And that's really the, the starting of the industrial um, look at 3D printing, because now we can use metals to actually print functional parts. Okay? Before, we could only print with plastics and some ceramics and composites, which obviously, from a functional point of view, is going to be very limiting. All right? Plastics aren't, aren't as uh, rigid and durable as metals. So in the metal category, we can, we can actually print with the material extrusion process, sheet lamination, directed energy deposition, powder bed fusion, and binder jetting. So all of those are processes that can use powdered metal. They also use powdered plastic. But really, the metal is the important distinction between um, when we went from a full industrial uh, process here. So, the last couple of slides I want to talk about um, where additive fits in into the manufacturing scheme. Okay, so remember we have four manufacturing processes. We have subtractive, joining, forming, and now additive. So, what's going to make a designer or a company decide, hey, yeah, I want to go and try out this additive manufacturing? So, whenever a designer is trying to decide what type of manufacturing processes they're going to use, for their, for their part uh, production, they're going to look at a couple of different things. They're going to look at the volume of production. Is this a high volume or is this a very small, maybe one or two volume of production? What is the level of customization? Are there standardized parts that we can produce you know, thousands of or are these like we need to produce one for Joe and one for Mary and the two are going to be you know, very different? What is the part complexity? Is it a very complex part? So that rules out casting and forging and maybe only leads to machining. What's the part cost? And this is the cost for the market. right? Is it supposed to be a high end part? Or is it going to be kind of a bargain basement dollar store kind of part? And finally, what are our production capabilities in our shop? All right? Do we have the material? Do we have the room? Do we have the expertise? Are we going to have to shop out for help with this? So all of these factors and more go into the decision-making process of, well, which process are we going to take? Where additive really excels is in these three areas. Okay? Additive manufacturing is superb for low volume because I can literally print one. I don't need any additional setup. I don't need any tooling, any molds. I can just print one part or 10. Okay, High customization. Right? There's companies out there right now, which Jordan will go through, um, where you can have your shoes 3D printed. They will mail you a box of Styrofoam for you to step in with your bare feet. You mail that box back to them and they print you customized, 100% customized shoes that only fit you. So the customization level is off the charts for additive manufacturing. Finally, in high complexity, you can see an example of this part right here. This is actually a part taken from uh, an aircraft. Okay, The original part is over here, and you can see the original part is kind of blocky and kind of basic. We have a square section right here that's kind of truncated, and we have some support ribs. This is designed so that we could manufacture it right? in a casting operation or a machining operation. To some extent, we have to compromise our designs to the process. And that's not good. Engineers, I'm an engineer, and I have problems with that. I don't want to compromise my design. I want to design it, engineer it, analyze it, and make it exactly as I dreamed up. Well, with additive manufacturing, we can actually do that. So this is the additive version of this, where it's gone through a process called topology optimization, where we load this virtually in our computer with the forces that we expect to see in the aircraft, and then we let the computer churn away to decide where we need material and where we don't need material. Now, if I sent that drawing to a machine shop and said, hey, you know what? I want you to print this for me, or I want you to machine this for me, they would laugh because it's not machinable. It's not castable. It's not forgeable. But with additive manufacturing, it's no problem whatsoever. Okay, So the high complexity is perfect for this. A couple of things that we have to watch out for. Additive manufacturing actually has significant production time, okay? So this part may be great to print, but it may take 10 to 12 hours to print, okay? So that's one thing. Not necessarily uh, too slow. Machining it would also take a lot of time, but we got to remember that. The second thing is there's often, especially in the case of metal 3D printing, there is often post-processing that needs to be done. So the part has to be sintered to, to make sure it has full uh, density. The part may have to be heat treated. Those are going to add hours or days to the process. So it's not just a one and done, hey, let's print it and move on. Uh, you know, there's, there's hidden time scales in there that we have to be aware of. Uh, so, so that's the, the additive advantage. That's where companies are really starting to leverage additive manufacturing. To shoot forward and to really develop parts that we've never seen before. Literally, we've never seen these before. The applications that Jordan's gonna go through next, they fall under three categories. Okay? Uh, we have rapid prototypes, rapid tooling, and rapid manufacturing. Okay? Rapid prototypes are parts that were printed as prototypes. So if you're developing a cell phone. Rather than go to a meeting with a picture of your cell phone or maybe a computer and you have everybody stand around and look at it, you can print the cell phone in color and bring to the meeting so everybody can feel it, see how it weighs in their hands, see what it looks like. So Those are prototypes. They're used in uh, architecture as well to print architectural models before they commit to to the construction. Rapid tooling is where we use 3D printing and additive manufacturing to print tools for manufacturing. Tools could include molds and dies. They could include jigs and fixtures. Oftentimes rapid tooling is done with plastic parts. And so actually rapid prototyping and rapid tooling were the first true uh, industrial applications to 3D printing. And now we're at the new age of rapid manufacturing. This is where we're using rapid, uh, excuse me, we're using additive manufacturing to print functional parts. That is, parts that you can see in airplanes that you get on, parts that you can see in cars that you get in, okay? parts that are actually finding their way into our common everyday uh, appliances and you know, things that we use every day. Uh, these are mostly metals, as I said, and that's really when we started developing metal production processes in the early 2000s. That's where this kind of kicked off. All right, so again, just trying to steer you in the direction uh, of where Jordan is going to lead you next. Um, companies look at developing additive manufacturing content in four different stages. Okay? These stages start out with that testing stage, right? Getting your toe in the water, seeing how it feels. And that includes the low volume parts. These are made directly from CAD, and usually they're rapid prototypes or rapid tooling. Okay where the company is not quite sure whether this is going to work, and they try it out. Next, they get into direct part replacement. Um, so this is where we avoid complex manufacturing by just printing things. Now, um, I was at a conference last year with, and, uh, with, with a fellow from uh, Caterpillar, and he was head of the additive manufacturing uh, department at Caterpillar. And what they're finding is their old tractors that they no longer have the tooling for, that they no longer support, when they have a a contract with that buyer that they will always support that piece of equipment that they purchased. But they don't have the tools and dies for them anymore. So when something breaks on these old tractors, now what they can do is go get the drawings, convert it to a solid model, print the part, and mail it to them so they can get all that done. The third area, the third stage is Complex parts that simplify uh, assembly and enhance reliability, what we're talking about is printing parts that are fully assembled to start with. And then finally, the fifth the, excuse me, the fourth stage of additive manufacturing uh, application is where we're redesigning everything. Right now, G.E., Boeing and Airbus are already at stage four. They're redesigning things from scratch. Uh, to you know, with, without any preconceived ideas. So companies are arrayed along these four stages. Early adopters are all the way up at stage four. And now I'm going to turn you over to Jordan. Thank you.
2: Now for the fun part of the lecture. Um, for the rest of the lecture, I'm just going to basically... Do a little show-and-tell. We're going to tell you some specific examples of where 3D printing has been used in industry. And um, everything that you're about to see are actual parts that have actually been created. Nothing you see here is an idea or a visualization. Everything is true and has been printed and is being used. So first, I'm going to start off with um, the healthcare industry, which is a major adopter of 3D printing, because healthcare is very highly um, complex, and it uses a lot of highly customized parts. Each individual is a different different person, has different needs. So healthcare really fits well with 3D printing. Um, first example is this young boy, Alex Pring, who was born without his right arm. Um, his parents were faced with a $40,000 bill for a prosthetic arm, which they couldn't afford. So they were stuck with Nothing, basically. They couldn't afford the prosthetic arm until engineers at the University of Central Florida were able to design and print a prosthetic arm for him, which he can control with his mind, for just $350. They did the whole thing in just seven weeks. And they're hoping that the design, which they put online for free to everybody to use, will um, sort of be a wake-up call to people who need um, prosthetics that... The prosthetics shouldn't cost $40,000. We can do this for a fraction of the cost. And now, Alex is able to shake people's hands and hug people with his hands, and he's living a sort of normal life now. Um, On the right, we have um, hearing aids, which are taken from scans of your ear. You can tell each one is slightly different. Every single hearing aid is designed to fit directly into your ears specific to your ear so these fit much better than traditional ones and the company doesn't have to have their laborers sculpt these by hands anymore so now they can increase their productivity I think like eightfold they said in their article so um, next we have um, which I think is a really cool application we're able to print um, human organs, more or less. So, we, the uh, researchers printed a scaffold, which is like sort of a, lo- um, a mesh of the organ that they want to create. And the mesh is printed with biomaterials, such as um, like gelatin or something that will dissolve away. And um, laced within that mesh are stem cells taken from you, the patient who needs this organ. So these, uh, these organs are guaranteed to fit within you when they're ready to transplant. And once these are done, once the scaffolds are ready, they are put in um, a bath and left to incubate for two months. And then after that, they're ready to go. They're living, they're working. And I think three days ago, they started printing skin,
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, on, on your arm, they can print skin. So they have 3D printers that move with your arm Yeah. in situ. Pretty cool stuff. Um,
2: Casts, also, are another great example of highly customizable uh, 3D printed parts. The casts are taken, again, from a scan of your um, affected area, and since the the cast is plastic, you can wash it, you can take it in the shower, uh, you can scratch through it, and it's a lot cheaper. This, uh, Depending on the material, that's around $6 of material as compared to a cast, which costs what? <laughs> a lot more than that. Yeah, probably thousands. <laughs> in thousands. Our healthcare industry. Gotta love it. Um, I'm going to start with Mia Gonzalez up there on the top left. Oh. Uh, be careful with this part; it's very fragile. Mia was born with a condition known as double aortic arch, which is where a vascular ring will wrap itself around the trachea or the esophagus and limits her airflow. Uh, She had troubles breathing when she was a kid. And um, this is a very complex surgery that she needed to uh, undergo in order to fix this. So what you're holding right now is a model of the heart that was taken from um, CAT scans of her heart, which was used to make a 3D model. And um, the surgeons would carry the heart which is much larger there, um, they would turn it over, and they could see each individual vein, and they can see where the problem is with her heart. So they would, um, they would carry it around, and they were able to kind of think visually in their head before they actually, um, before she went under, underwent surgery, they were able to kind of visualize where they needed to go and what they needed to do. So they kind of knew what to expect before they actually um, did the surgery. And now, thanks to that, she's uh, made a full recovery, I think, right? And she's yeah. now living a healthy life. Um, in the center, we have Gigi the parrot, which you might have seen um, through Facebook or something. Um, Gigi was found abandoned in a Brazilian uh, house, and she has a beak defect, which meant that her beak was just continually growing, continually uh, grow. And she couldn't eat. She couldn't climb normally. She was very uh, malnourished. So uh, veterinarians took her in and printed this uh, titanium beak for her. And now she is able to eat correctly, and she's much healthier. Uh, the man in the bottom right, or bottom left, uh, fell three stories and landed on his head and cracked part of his skull. Um, but th- we, they, uh, the doctors in China, we're able to print a titanium mesh uh, implant. And since the titanium is porous, it allows the bones to, uh, it facilitates the regrowth of the bones. And um, like Chuck was talking about earlier, the shoes that are 3D printed, the, the red sole part right here is what's actually 3D printed. So. Um, when they get the copy of your feet, these shoes are printed exactly to fit your individual foot. And athletes can um, really take advantage of this because the materials that we can use with 3D printing are a lot more advanced. We are able to um, sort of mix uh, plastics together in order to get just the right amount of springiness or the right amount of um, flex in your soles. And some of the cool parts of this is you don't even need to have CAD knowledge to do some of this. You can go on websites like uh, My MyMiniFactory, GrabCAD, or Thingiverse, and download parts to just print right from home. And speaking of that, this company will um, print you a pair of, or you print the headphones, the company will ship you the electronics that you need. And for, I think, like $46, you can get a decent pair of headphones. Maybe. If your internet connection's good, you'll get headphones. Cool. So, yikes. All of these designs, you can print right at home. For free, basically. Well, not for free, but at a lot cheaper cost than having to pay $200 for a pair of headphones. And if you want, you can design your own. Somewhere down here. You can design your own headphones to fit you. You make them your own color, your own style, however you want to fit. I thought that was pretty cool. Another industry that's really booming is high-end custom bikes. Um, We're able to, well, uh, the company Robot Bike has a program where you can um, enter in specific dimensions that you want for your bike, and then based on those few simple dimensions, the the joints are created and printed exactly for you, exactly for the bike that you specified. And when we, use this technology, along with um, topology optimization, we're able to create really lightweight frames. Like the the frame that we have pictured here in the top left, or top right, Um, the frame itself only weighs 2 pounds, because we're able to create highly lightweight parts that are just as strong as they need to be. And we're also able to print houses to some extent Same technology as regular 3D printers. <laughs> this is in China right now. Russia. Russia. Well, Russia and China are they both, both doing? Yeah. yeah. This was printed. You can tell there's snow in the background. This was printed in, in uh, one of the harshest winters in Russia, as a demonstration.
1: So it's in a tent right now as it's printing. By the way, this is a fused. Dep- this is a material extrusion process. Fused deposition modeling. Uh, and it's just spitting out like concrete that's going to dry. Totally insulated. It. It's like a little house. Yeah, think about Puerto Rico right now. All the designs are that circular format. There's some that are rectangular and stuff. So it's not really, there's not really a design limitation on this. You can see this one's more rectangular.
2: Pretty cool. Now we get on to manufacturing. And like Chuck was saying, 3D printing has really disrupted manufacturing. Now we are able to create parts that we previously have not been able to create before. And a perfect example of that is um, on the left, we have injection molding molds. And when you um, use injection molds, the parts have to cool off as quickly as possible. So um, one company printed their molds with um, what's known as conformal cooling channels. And the, um, the red tubes, represent the, the channels where a coolant will flow through and um, Because we can print the parts with these channels through the actual mold You can cut the time it takes for your parts to cool by half. I think it took um, 10 seconds versus 22 seconds, so that's You're increasing your productivity by two. You're doubling your productivity The left side shows the traditional means which is basically just drilling a hole you couldn't do much else besides that but with, uh, with 3D printing, we can create channels inside the part itself. And um, with jigs, we can create highly um, complex geometry to accommodate more complex geometry. This, uh, this fixture, or well, the, uh, the part that it's holding right now, you can tell it's sort of bent. It's got all this uh, weird geometry. It'd be hard to bolt this down to do quality assurance. But with 3D printing, we can match those curves perfectly and we can use the coordinate measuring uh, machine that they have and um, quality assurance is a lot easier to do. We can also use uh, 3D printed um, jigs for machining or for drilling, for woodworking, because traditionally when you make jigs, you have to make, um, make sure that you're drilling the holes in the exact right spot or otherwise you just messed up your jig and every part that you make. But with 3D printing, they come out of the printer. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. They come out of the printer correct. You know that they're correct because you designed them correctly, hopefully. Um, Another area where we're using this is um, assembling, assembly fixtures and jigs. So um, this tool was originally made um, by BMW with uh, metal. It was very heavy and very... um, awkward for the assemblers to use. If you imagine lifting that part up made of like, hard, cold metal hundreds of times a day, it'd be stressful on your, um, your joints. So they printed a more ergonomic model that's um, way, way lighter than previously the previous uh, fixture that they used, uh, which led to an increase in the productivity of their assembly lines and uh, faster production. We're also able to print the molds themselves. The part that's going around, the metal part, was printed with a 3D, or was cast with a 3D printed mold. So the green parts here on the right were actually 3D printed. And since these parts are 3D printed, we can create them much, much faster than before. Typically, molds like that would take something like two weeks to arrive at your shop. But and now, they're
1: very expensive.
2: Yeah, and very expensive to machine. But now we can print them overnight. In a couple hours, and we can
1: start producing things much, much faster. Yeah, design changes can be done right on the fly. The other part that's going around the small blue clip, that was injection molded from uh, plastic, three D printed uh, molds. So the the molds can be done in plastic, or they can be actually done in metal now. So you know both of those parts, the the Z Corporation, the large uh, shape, that's aluminum, and that was cast with aluminum, but from uh, uh, 3D-printed molds, Right. I actually forgot to pass this one around, too. Oh, yeah. This isn't the same headphones that
2: we were um, talking about earlier, but everything in the headphone is 3D-printed. These are all 3D-printed components. And they work. You can plug them in. All right. The next area we're going to look at is automotive, which is really especially with uh, Formula 1, is really counting on additive manufacturing to create lightweight parts. Um, You can tell every kilogram that we save with Formula 1 has the potential to earn their racing team $120,000. Because one kilogram can be the difference between winning or losing a race. And um, like we were talking about with manufacturing, 3D printing for the automotive industry is huge with creating prototypes of their components. Um, where it would typically take weeks or days to get parts back from a machine shop, we can print them overnight, have them in the wind tunnel test by the next day. And I f- believe the, um, the part on the left, the front spoiler, is actually being used in the picture below. It's
1: the blackish parts down here mm-hmm. in the front. Yeah, F1 uses, they actually race with 3D printed parts. Which company? One of the races, one of the racer uh, groups is they have 3D printers on track side. Right. So if they the need to make A. minor changes or print something else, they can they can print it. Right. Which we'll show them. Um, just this year, even Ferrari uh,
2: announced that they're going to start using 3D printed pistons in their Formula One engines, and they're going to um, reduce the number of parts because they don't need to assemble it in the same way. They can just print it right out of the off the printer and take it into their part their uh, their cars and they're going to make it lightweight by using a honeycomb structure on the inside which makes the part much much lighter and saves even more weight. And like Talk was talking about earlier, McLaren there it is has a, a 3D printer that they take to their tracks. I meant to do that. They can print parts that come from their design lab in the UK and email them anywhere in the world that they're having their race and um, if the weather conditions or the track conditions are sort of different than what they were expecting they can print a part overnight and install on their vehicle the next day for the race it's kind of like cheating isn't it yeah well <laughs> I think they're all gonna start cheating pretty much uh, Michelin the tire company has introduced a new um, prototypical tire that's airless and is 3D-printed using a biomimetic design or mimicking uh, biology. The tires are um, 3D-printed, and they actually will send an alert to you when they need to be um, re, re, uh, treaded. And um, these are completely recyclable materials. So when you're done with your tire or when it needs to be um, When it needs to be thrown out, it'll degrade naturally. The parts are all uh, recyclable. And when your tires do need to be retreaded, they can just print it right back on. You don't need to buy whole new tires. We'll just print what you need. Um, Even entire cars are being 3D printed. Uh, This company, Local Motors, um, everything in that car, except for the mechanical parts, is 3D printed. The plastic that they use is um, carbon fiber reinforced ABS plastic and um, very hard or very
1: lightweight very um, resilient and um, wasn't this wasn't the design didn't that come from a, was it a design competition contest? Yeah. yeah it was a, a design contest I couldn't uh, and that, yeah. and the winner got their design as their as the car I think like five thousand dollars yeah yeah <laughs> not that much yeah kind of you can see Jay Leno driving that around he, he his his video series, he's driving one of those. That was a good video. Yeah, I think the, um, the car is
2: electric, and I think it's something like 10,000, 15-ish, thousand yeah. dollars, not too bad. Top speed of 40 miles an hour, it's got a range of 100 miles, not too bad. Which leads us into uh, the final area we want to look at, which is space, or in aerospace, airplanes. Um, aerospace is really looking to make their planes more lightweight in order to save money on fuel and um, they're starting with brackets the things that hold the the plane together so
1: (laughs) way ahead of me this is this is the original bracket design was this from airbus or boeing remember i think it was uh boeing okay this is a boeing bracket right and you can see it's big and thick and you know blocky because that's what we could manufacture so they had a competition uh, on grabcad to redesign it using topology optimization so I'll pass these around and they went with one of the topology optimized parts the one that Jordan's showing on the left hand side there that's the actual part that is going into airplanes greatly reducing the weight because there's Hundreds of these in an airplane, maybe even thousands. Yeah, so when you the reduce, cabin yeah. Is so I'll pass these around. Redesigned. We printed all these in. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should do like sorry. one at a time. We printed all these in <laughs> in our lab. And the
2: part here on the right is the partition, which separates the classes of the plane and where the uh, the flight attendants sit. The uh, the partition. All of that is 3D printed in separate parts and then joined together. The, uh, the partition is 45% lighter. And I think per partition, it saves like 9,000 pounds of jet fuel per year. So with an entire cabin full of those things, imagine how much uh, less fuel they'll need to use and how much uh, cleaner their planes will be. Um, NASA, on the right side. Is you even using these for their rocket launcher or rocket propellers. Um, this turbo pump here, the part that um, pumps the fuel to the uh, the thrusters, that's all 3D printed, and they're using these in rocket launchers. Uh, on the left side, we have a fuel injector assembly, which is made by GE. And uh, this, the fuel injector, actually uses I think like 40% less parts. It takes two days to uh, 3D print as, com- as compared to, I think it was two weeks, yeah. so they're really
1: saving time and money. Th- this is an example of the fourth, that fourth stage of development where you're redesigning things from scratch. So the, the turbo uh, for the rockets, that was designed from scratch. This mm-hmm. is not manufacturable in the traditional ways. It can only be manufactured additively. Uh, but the, where there's great weight reduction, there's great assembly parts reduction. Uh, also the fuel injector on the left hand side so y- you have a lot of savings going on here a lot of efficiencies that are being gained right this next
2: part's really cool it's one of my favorites that turbo pump we saw earlier this is um, a video of of it being la- or being tested along with other 3D printed parts make sure it's not too loud Much of that rocket engine is 3D printed, and that was that full full test, full cycle. 20,000 pounds of force, or uh, thrust force, and it worked just well, just, uh, just fine. And like Chuck was talking about earlier, NASA has a 3D printer in the, uh, in the International Space Station. Uh, astronauts are able to, to print one. all the parts that they need right on the International Space Station you can imagine, if you need a part, you can't go to the store and get a part in space. You have to wait for a rocket to come and bring it to you, which can take months or years, and it's very, very expensive. So now, astronauts are able to print um, exploratory tools or um, tools that they need to make repairs right, um, right on the International Space Station. don't remember which this one was.
1: The 3D printing industry is still in its infancy, but that has not stopped one company jumping forward into the future and planning their own 3D printed shelters for other planets. French firm Fabulous have designed a conceptual shelter dubbed Sphero that would be 3D printed on the red planet using locally available materials. The designs are in response to NASA's competition, which is seeking new ideas for 3D printed Mars habitats.
2: All right, sorry that was kind of quiet. Um Earlier this year, NASA announced um, a challenge competition for students in universities to design 3D printable habitats for, uh, for exploring Mars, for human colonies. And this one company in uh, France, um, this is their design that they submitted. They call it the, uh, the Sparrow Home, or the Sphere Home. And um, the robot that they've created has two arms. One of, the, one of the arms digs in the Martian soil and extracts iron from the iron oxide rich soil, and uses that iron to print these two, uh, these two shells, these two holes on the outside. The other arm actually does the printing. Uh, the robot also has a drill which can dig for the permafrost water beneath the surface, and will use that water as, um, as insulation from the, the ultraviolet uh, waves of the sun. Um, can't remember the square footage of the house, but I think it was around 900 or 800 something square feet. So it's about the same as the house that we saw earlier. Pretty decent. Um, I think the winner was actually, were they um, from Korea? I don't know. I didn't oh, see right the I, I don't the remember winners. either. They didn't end up winning, but um, they had a really good video on their, their visualization.
1: Okay, I'm send this back to Chuck. so I'm just going to finish up the talk, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some time for questions. Um, b- there are barriers to the application of additive manufacturing in the industry. Um, these include the size of the part. You'll see that a lot of these parts, uh, not including the house and not including the car, are kind of limited in size. 3D printers are generally not that large. Okay. Maybe the largest 3D printer, they have a BAM. Uh, Big area additive manufacturing printers, that can print a little bit bigger. But part size is one of the barriers to this. Um, There are hidden costs, as we talked about with uh, sintering and post-processing. Also, materials can be very expensive for 3D printing. Um, One of the bigger areas that companies are having difficulty with is uh, ensuring part quality and regulatory part compliance. So both of these areas um, are difficult to assess because um, when we print something, We don't really know how the print process is going while it's being printed. So we don't have a good record for what the material, what happened to the material during the printing process. And this is a problem. Nobody wants to get in a car where we're not quite sure whether the axle is going to hold up. Um, We certainly don't want to get into an airplane where we're not sure whether the bracket has porosities in it that we didn't detect. Companies are finding a way around this by doing in-process monitoring. So they're actually monitoring the, the process of printing while the printing is being done to alert, to stop, to do anything to fix this. Now, the aerospace industry right now has received full FAA compliance for certain parts, which means that they, the regulators have said, yeah, let's go with this. This is, this is good. So that's a huge step. Um, we also need skilled designers, right? Um, we don't have right now a group of engineers that know how to design additively. It's still such a new process, it's not being introduced in design schools and engineering schools. How do we leverage the additive process to really make parts that are you know, beyond, this, beyond what we've ever experienced? Um, part reproduci- reproducibility and consistency, that's an issue. If we print two parts on the same machine, are they the same? You know, are they made the same or do they have the same porosity, strength, durability, toughness? All those issues. Um, And finally, the old process, the the old question of, hey, which process is better? Should I do metal? Should I use powder bed fusion? Should I do uh, directed energy deposition? Which way should I go with this? And then which materials are going to be best? Uh, This is the future of additive manufacturing. Right now, um, the barrier to metal 3D printing is cost. That's one of the hugest barriers. Uh, right now, the, the cheapest metal additive 3D printing machine is at least a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, this company, Mark Forged, has come out with a metal 3D printer under $100,000. They call it desktop metal. All right? The machine is just basically as big as this podium, and you can print metal parts. Did you pass that one around? Yeah, right, So the metal part that's going around right now, it looks like a handle for a motorcycle that is a part printed on one of these machines. It's made out of stainless steel. It's 99.7% dense. It took between four and six hours to produce. and As you can feel when you get it around, it's, it feels like a solid metal part. It is a solid metal part. Uh, last couple parts I'm going to pass around. This is, uh, this is one of the machines that we have. These actual parts right here, for those of you that think that plastic 3D printing is kind of delicate, these parts are printed with Kevlar bands infused in the material. So These are very, very stiff parts. I'll pass these around. These are also uh, prepared with fused deposition modeler. This is a fused deposition modeler. Hopefully we'll be getting We're gonna, I'm trying to get one of these machines right now for us. So. We'll see how that works out. Um, (laughs) Last thing is, uh, I'm going to do a little ad for my department. Uh, If you're interested in this, we offer several classes in this arena. Um, We have a class, Introduction to Additive Manufacturing, where we go through all of this for 17 weeks. We do a deep dive in every process, find out what makes each one tick. Then we look at the applications, industrial applications, for each one over the second half of the class. So we do, we get about as, as deep as you can in each process. Then we have a second class uh, which, which uh, is for designing parts. So the second class designed for additive manufacturing is where we're going to get into the CAD system and we're going to start building these parts out of plastic, hopefully out of metal, uh, and we're going to see what it takes to really design for additive manufacturing. Um, The the Specialist Certificate, which I am preparing and will be offered starting in the fall of next year, um, is going to be an Additive Manufacturing Specialist Certificate. It's going to be those first two classes, plus your choice of either the Introduction to 3D Modeling with AutoCAD or the Introduction to 3D Parametric Modeling with Autodesk Inventor. Um, So, if you're interested in finding out more about this stuff, you can sign up for the 125 class, or if you're really interested, you can uh, complete the certificate. And I think that's it. So I guess we'll open the floor for any questions.
0: Questions, we have a microphone. I
1: think we went over a lot. <laughs> we might have covered everything, yeah.
0: That was so any thorough. Questions?
1: Yeah, question right here? Oh, oh hold on, that's, sorry. Uh, my, yeah, one of the questions I
0: had, remember when they were um, printing the house? what was the diff- Like, what's the advantage of 3D printing a house rather than just having, you know, original concrete based? You want to take that?
2: Sure. Uh, the main advantage is time. That house took 24 hours to uh, produce and to build and cost something like $10,000, I think they said. So they're really kind of gearing it towards um, low income housing or to emergency shelters, stuff like that. Um, hopefully in a couple of years, they will start using it more for
1: traditional housing. But that's really where they're um, their main focus is it's also a very it's 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 a very solid construction so insulation Mm. is is going to be very good in that it's going to be very thermally uh, sound good Good
2: question oh now they're getting more brave
0: so as for the artificial lens were there like any negative side effects that came from like using those artificial lens like they say like how you can use, you can make artificial um, arms or you can make artificial hearts or anything like that. Like were there any negative side effects from those? Well,
1: one of the big factors with artificial limbs is fit. You know, anybody that has a prosthetic will tell you that if it doesn't fit right, you're going to have chafing and and discomfort and it's really a, a huge negative. You don't want sores in that area. With 3D printed parts, you can scan it so you have a perfect fit. You, you literally can't get a better fit. Mm-hmm. Plus, if any change needs to be done, it's just the process of going into the CAD system, changing what needs to be changed, and <laughs> printing it again. So it's not a full blown manufacturing and production process. So uh, I haven't heard of any negative side effects for that. Not really, no. um, the, the plastic is very strong, it's lightweight. There was another story that we didn't get in here um, a little girl that has a disease that makes her bones very brittle. They printed a 3D printed suit for her out of plastic mm. that enables her to stand in her classroom and to interact with kids. Um, and the great thing about that is they can print when she as she grows, they can keep printing and printing you know different sizes so she's able to you know basically partake in society
2: right. And not just plastic. They can also print titanium parts for uh, like, a knee replacement or
1: a paper Mm -hmm. replacement. Titanium is, the body doesn't react negatively to titanium. That's why titanium is used inside the body. Mm -hmm. There was another question here? Wait for the microphone. Mm -hmm. Um, What would the building code implications be of the 3D printed house? Do you know?
2: Mm, That's a good question.
1: I think. I think you would definitely if you wanted to start printing one of these in Lamont or Lagrange, you'd probably you'd probably have some curious looks and make a, have to make a couple trips to the uh uh to, to the city planning office. But I think really this is made out of concrete. That's all it is. Basically that machine is just a giant toothpaste dispenser spewing out concrete. Mm-hmm. So really once they look at it, it's going to have the same strength as a concrete home. So yeah, I don't see any problem with that. But you would you know, you'd have to go and uh, explain it to them, yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah.
2: Um, how much is like a basic 3D printer, like the most basic one you could possibly buy?
1: You wanna, yeah. Jordan has a couple of 3D,
2: well, one A couple, right? well, not that okay. rich. Okay. <laughs> um, you can go anywhere from like $100 all the way up to like $2,500. Um, some of the more basic ones, you're, you really get what you pay for as, in terms of 3D printers. Um, a good one, so they start around $600 at, um, you're really paying for the quality, so that like um, a couple months down the line, your printer doesn't break and then you're left
1: with junk. Yeah, and these are all plastic printers. Um, uh, the ones that we have, which are a little bit more robust than the home ones, um, the, so the two, the VAT photopolymerization one and the, the one that prints the Kevlar, those are $5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the larger one that we have, the big FDM uh, machine by Stratasys is about I think 14? it was about $14,000. So, you know, that, that's not cheap. But, you know, it's nothing that I can buy, but it's certainly not a barrier to a company using those. Those are all metal, though. The, I mean, excuse me, those are all plastic. The lowest cost metal one, as I said, is right now $99,500. So if you got that amount of money burning a hole in your pocket, talk to me. <laughs> I'll hook you up. I'll give you a place to put it.
0: <laughs> yeah, question? Um, when you were talking about the, the time restraints for... 3D printing, are there any developments in, um, like, being worked on right now that could possibly make it a faster process?
1: You want to talk about the cl- Do you know the clip process? Remember the one that prints in 30 seconds? Well, yeah, but that's not for, like, traditional well, 3D yeah. printing. Well, yeah. So, there are, they are trying to, trying to shorten that time frame. The biggest problem with shortening the printing time frame is solidification of the previous layers. Right. You quality. can't print the next layer on top until the first layer is done. Now, there is a process uh, in the VAT photopolymerization uh, scheme called CLIP, uh, Continuous Liquid Interface Printing. And they can print full models in about 30 seconds. All right? um, but those are plastic models. They're used for prototyping. And right now, that hasn't really moved to the industrial kind of sense. So it's kind of in the experimental stage. You can buy them. They're not experimental like you can't get a hold of them. They're experiment, experimental in terms of, gee, this is cool, but what am I going to do with it? Right?
0: Yeah. I just, uh, uh, sounds like a question online or well, something unrelated. Say, if you were to three D print something and you were put on AutoCAD and like they have like different colors or something like that, would three D printers be smart like enough to like input different colors if you put in like the type of plastic?
2: Absolutely, there yeah. are different uh, different types of three D printers that can print in color. So um, you can specify which faces of the, your part you want to have in color, and um, we should have put that in there. The yeah,
1: the ones that are full color. Yeah, they have full color. You can print full color prototypes. Uh, you know, of of whatever. There's several processes that can use color, so color isn't um, in the metal printers. We can print tool steel, titanium, uh, aluminum, Inconel, which is a nickel alloy. We can print uh... stainless steel like the part that's going around so really materials you know uh, that that's kind of already robust enough Mm -hmm.
0: any more questions
1: Uh, you mean like (laughs) some kind of terminator like uh... (laughs) end of the world scenario uh... well i don't want the machines to hear this but yeah they could we could print uh, parts to. There are 3D printers that you can buy uh, or that you can download that you 3D print the parts for your 3D printer. So, yeah, we, we could absolutely do that without a, mm-hmm. without a doubt. There are lots of self replicating printers. Yeah. Self replicating, that's a good word for that. Self replicating. Rep, rep. And then we can just like sit that. around in our bed and have machines give us drinks and food and we don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> Any other questions?
0: All right. Round of applause (laughs) for Chuck and Jordan. Thank you. And we hope to see you all next month. We'll have a retired uh, chemist give a lecture about climate science and climate change on November 14th at 11 a.m. So we hope to see you all there. Thank you.